Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I am, of course, your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle, Dion Tyree Gordon. Enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work, okay? I'll be the first one to admit I am a fucking idiot. A dunce, a ninny, a nincompoop, a clod, a fool, a moron, whatever you want to call me. I sat here last week and tried to predict and forecast the uh, divisional round playoff football games. Four playoff games were played last weekend. Of the games, I predicted all four games. One in three was my record. So as much as I sit there and pretend to be a football savant, a guru, whatever you want to call it, not the case last week. One in three. The only game I got right was Kansas City beating Cleveland 22-17. The other three games, I had Baltimore over Buffalo. That didn't work out. I had the Rams with the upset special of the week over Green Bay. They got demolished. And I had New Orleans beating Tampa. I had New Orleans as my Super Bowl team from the NFC. You saw how that went. But at the same time, I'm not too stupid because I told you reasons why it could go the other way. I gave you keys to the game and things to look out for and, and ways that it could be a different outcome. Uh, I said, I'll start, with, I'll start first with the Rams and Packers game. That was the first playoff game played last Saturday. Uh, I, like I said earlier, I took this game as my upset special of the week. And the Green Bay Packers were like, nah, fuck this shit. Green Bay 32, Rams 18. It wasn't even that close. Green Bay scored their first five possessions of the game. League MVP Aaron Rodgers, 23 of 36, 296, two scores, 8 of 10, 98 yards, passing on play action passes alone. Surgical performance out there by the 2020 NFL League MVP Aaron Rodgers. Big game out of Aaron Jones, 14 carries, 99 yards, and a touchdown. Alan Lazard, four catches, 96 in the score. And I said coming into this game, the key to success, what was going to determine the outcome of this football game was who won the individual matchup between Jalen Ramsey, cornerback for the L.A. Rams, and Devontae Adams, wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. In this game, Devontae Adams had nine catches for 66 yards and one touchdown, so suffice to say, he won the individual matchup. You have nine catches to score a touchdown. I think you control that matchup. I think he got the better of Jalen Ramsey all day. Devontae showed everyone he is the best receiver in the National Football League right now. Expert, crisp route running throughout the entire game. Great hands, can catch anything that's thrown at him. Just an outstanding football player. So is Jalen Ramsey. These are two excellent football players going head-to-head. That's part of what makes the playoffs so great. You see the best of the best, the elite, going one-on-one to determine football supremacy. But in this game, it was Devontae Adams, who was the more supreme football player to Jalen Ramsey. Uh, the touchdown pass they caught was a goal-line situation. Comes in motion to the top of the screen, the other side of the formation. It comes back in motion. Jalen Ramsey's traveling with him the entire play. Uh, the ball is snapped. Jalen Ramsey kind of gets caught up in the bullshit. A little bit of a miscommunication with another player from the Rams secondary. Uh, you saw in the play, Jalen Ramsey was highly upset that uh, another DB did not travel with Devontae Adams. It was an easy pitch and catch between Rodgers and Adams for a touchdown from Green Bay. And it was all downhill from there. I mean, I said coming into the game, who won that individual matchup between Devontae Adams and Jalen Ramsey was going to win the football game. Devontae Adams won that matchup. And his team won the game. And this was a number one defense going up against the number one offense. Um, and the number one defense got shredded the entire game. Like I said earlier, Green Bay scored their first five possessions of the football game. They controlled the clock, dominated time possession, more plays in the Rams, kept Aaron Donald in check. Donald came into the game with torn rib cartilage, wasn't 100%. Green Bay's offensive line, giving them credit. 
They kept Aaron Donald in check. They kept Leonard Floyd in check. Rodgers was not sacked the entire game. Just an absolutely flawless performance by the Green Bay Packers offense. On the other side, Cam Akers had a decent game, but when you fall down early, as uh, the Rams did, kind of neutralizes the running game and puts the game in the hands of Jared Goff, and that's something that the Rams didn't want to have happen going into this game because Goff struggled this season before he got hurt. He had 20 touchdown passes, 13 interceptions. Has looked inconsistent, has looked shaky the entire season. Uh, in this game, he was 21 of 27 for a buck 74, one touchdown pass, sacked four times for 26 yards. I won't say golf was the reason they lost this game. The defense was the reason they lost this game. But golf at this stage of his career is not good enough to engineer a come from behind victory on the road in Lambeau in the frozen tundra in front of about 9,000 cheeseheads in attendance on Green Bay and limited attendance, limited capacity for this game. But Jared Goff at this stage of his career is just not that good. He's been under, underachieving, underwhelming since he's been in the league outside of 2018 when he got to the Super Bowl. Last year, he was a little up and down. This year, same thing, up and down. 20 touchdown passes, 13 interceptions. And just not equipped to take you on the road and go win a big playoff game when he's the reason you win that game. He's one of those quarterbacks. He's in the same class as a guy like Garoppolo, Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr. You know, that type of quarterback needs everything else around him to go well for him to succeed. They need a strong running game. They need a defensive play lights out. They need a great play caller on the sideline like Sean McVay, like Kyle Shanahan, like Kevin Stefanski. You know, if, if golf doesn't have all those variables going in his favor, he's going to struggle. He cannot play from behind. And there was talk after the game. Sean McVay was asked after the loss about golf's status for the 2021 season. He really didn't. Didn't give a definitive answer. It's not like he just came out outwardly and just said, yeah, Jared Goff's our guy. That's a ridiculous question. I can't believe you even asked me something like that. You know, he didn't completely shoot it down and didn't exactly give 100% vote of confidence to Jared Goff being the quarterback in his team next year. So that's something, that's an interesting uh, developing situation to watch going forward. I think Goff will be back. It's too much. They've invested too much money and time in him to get rid of them, rid of him. Uh, they gave him like 30, what, $33 million per year, something like that, some obscene number for a guy who's just honestly not that good. He's okay. He's, like I said, middle of the road. He's a top 20 quarterback. I'll, t- I'll give him that. Uh, but for the money that, that the organization is paying him and the results they're getting back on their investment is not, it's not equal. Uh, he, uh, he's not playing at a level that justifies the amount of money they're paying him. Uh, like I said, he was decent in this game, but at the same time, he threw 27 passes, only threw 174 yards. If you throw 27 passes, you at least got to break 200. And on a day where you're playing from behind the entire game for a number one draft pick, for a guy making $33 million a year, I give him a lot of credit for being tough, for playing through that injury. This guy has three pins in his thumb, broke his thumb week, to, week 16 versus Seattle, has come back earlier than expected. I give him a lot of credit for that. But at the same time, if your if your own team can't trust you to bail them out and bring them back from behind to overcome a deficit on the road in a big playoff game, you're not worth that money, and you're not playing up to the potential and the standard of being a number one draft pick in the NFL. Now, he's definitely got to raise his game. But someone who doesn't need to raise the game is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers looks so comfortable, so just under control, so poised, so reserved throughout the entire game. Like I said, this guy, in my estimation, in a lot of people's opinion, is the league MVP for the 2020 season, and and rightfully so. He deserves it. As as much as I love Mahomes, 
um, nothing but the utmost respect for Aaron Rodgers and the way he's played this season, his entire career. First ballot Hall of Famer, one of the top 10 quarterbacks of all time in NFL history, an absolute living legend. You know, Green Bay Packers fans are lucky in some regard. If you're a Packer fan under the age of 40, all you know is great quarterbacks. You went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. Think about it. You have other teams in this league, like if you're a Dolphins fan, a Browns fan, a Bills fan, a 49er fan, a Cowboys fan, a Redskins slash Washington football team fan, you haven't seen two great quarterbacks in your entire lifetime if you're a certain age. If you're a Dolphins fan, you haven't seen a great quarterback since Dan Marino. He retired in 99. If you're a Broncos fan, you've seen John Elway and Peyton Manning stretched out between 20 years of each other, basically. If you're a Niners fan, I'm 35. I'm a 49er fan. I grew up watching Steve Young, and I saw two good, two great years of Colin Kaepernick playing quarterback. You know, Cleveland fans have seen nothing but dog shit at that position since since they came back into the league in '99. You're talking about Tim Couch and Spurgeon Wynn, you know, Jake DeLome, Derek Anderson, Johnny Manziel, Kelly Holcomb. Uh, Jason Campbell played quarterback a little bit for the Browns. My man Brady Quinn played there. Deshaun Kaiser, two failed Notre Dame quarterbacks. Colt McCoy. Play a little bit for the Brownies. I mean, this is a team that's had this utter mediocrity at the most important position in all of sports since 99. Well, Baker Mayfield looks like Tom Brady compared to everything the Browns have had at quarterback since 99. They've had nothing but fucking failure at that position. Just the stress and misery and depression up until right now with Baker Mayfield. But if you're a Green Bay Packers fan, like I said, of a certain age, let's, let's just say the age of 40 and under. All you know is quarterback excellence. All you know is Hall of Fame caliber play at that position. All you know is two guys who have won you championships. Now, you can argue maybe they should have won more than one each. That's neither here nor there. They've won a championship for the Green Bay Packers. They played at a consistently high level. Brett Favre was on the field every week. Aaron Rodgers is the highest rated passer in NFL history. His touchdown to interception ratio is better than anyone else's in NFL history. This is an all-time great quarterback. And if you're a Packers fan, I hope every Packers fan appreciates what they've had in Aaron Rodgers and before him, Brett Favre, because not every NFL team can relate to what the Packers have had the past 30 years. Sheer brilliance of Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and the way they've played that position and the, the high level, the caliber of play they've gotten, it is absolutely awe-inspiring. As a 49er fan, I admire it. Uh, Rodgers has been fun to watch. He's been Great for the league, completes passes that other quarterbacks won't even attempt. He has an elite target in Devontae Adams to throw to. As, as I said earlier, Devontae Adams, in my opinion, is the best receiver in pro football right now. He is in a, You could talk about DeAndre Hopkins. You could talk about DK Metcalf, Tyreek Hill. You know, I'll listen to those conversations. Stephon Diggs from Buffalo. You could talk about other great receivers in the league. To me, it's Devontae Adams and everyone else. So Green Bay Packers 32, L.A. Rams 18. The game wasn't even that close, as I said earlier. Moving on to the NFC Championship game. It'll be a home game in Lambeau, the first ever home NFC Championship game for Aaron Rodgers in his storied NFL career. So we'll see what happens next week going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I will get to that later on, but I will move on right now to the other game played on Saturday. The Buffalo Bills hosting the Baltimore Ravens once again. I'm an idiot, I'm stupid, and I'm wrong, I'm a moron, a dunce, a nick, a poop, a clod, a ninny, whatever you want to call it, I'm a fucking fool, don't listen to me anymore.
Turn off this podcast right now. Stop listening to the Neon Gordon podcast. I sit here and I sold everyone a bill of goods. I'm over here selling wolf tickets, as the old heads used to say. Just talking out my ass. Words blown in the wind. I said the Baltimore Ravens are going to win this game 25-21. They only scored three points. 17-3 victory for the Buffalo Bills. Excellent defensive performance taking away the running game and forcing Lamar Jackson to do something he's uncomfortable with doing. Drop back the pass and beat you with his arm. Lamar in this game was 14 of 24, a buck 62, and one interception. And that interception was pivotal. That was the play of the game that swung the momentum of the game. It's really the only play you even need to talk about in regards to that game. It's 10-3 Buffalo at this juncture of the game. Second half, third quarter. Baltimore puts together an impressive 15-play, 66-yard drive that took eight minutes and 48 seconds off the clock. Then get into the red zone. Lamar Jackson drops back to pass. He has Marquise Hollywood Brown wide open over the middle, but it's pressure up the middle by Buffalo's Jerry Hughes, which forces Lamar to make a bad errant pass. He misses Hollywood Brown incomplete. The very next play, Lamar Jackson drops back to pass. He's looking for Mark Andrews, his his favorite target, his big tight end in, in the end zone. Buffalo drops back in the cover two, and they have everything covered over the middle. Lamar Jackson does not see Teron Johnson at all. Steps in, makes the pick in the end zone, takes it 101 yards for the score. Great job by Tredavious White picking up the block on Lamar Jackson to enable Johnson to make the, make the touchdown. And that was pretty much the game. It was over at that point. You're talking about a situation where Baltimore is putting together a drive. Like I said, 15 plays, 66 yards, 8 minutes, 48 seconds off the clock. Ten, down 10-3. to three. They have an opportunity to either tie the game or at the very least, at the bare minimum, Settle for a field goal, make it 10-6, in which you're still in the game. But then Lamar Jackson throws this 101-yard pick six. So instead of making it, let's say, 10-6, 10-10, now it's 17-3. I mean, that's about a 14-point swing in the other team's favor. That's taking points off the board for for Baltimore, for your team, and putting points on the board for Buffalo. And Baltimore's defense played well. Buffalo's offense only scored 10 points in this game. They kept Josh Allen in check for the most part. Josh Allen was 23 of 37, 206, one touchdown, no interceptions. Not a huge game, but that no interceptions part is major. No turnovers, no fumbles. Had the ball come loose earlier, but it was recovered. Stephon Diggs had eight catches for 106, and he had the touchdown pass, the lone touchdown pass from Josh Allen. But for the most part, Baltimore played outstanding defensively. Uh, Buffalo, Buffalo had 16 rushing attempts in this game for 32 yards. Seven of those carries by Devin Singletary for 25 yards. So the Buffalo didn't even try to run the football in this game. There were so many passing plays. Called 37 pass plays compared to 16 rushing attempts. So no balance offensively for the Buffalo Bills. But they've struggled with the running game all season. This is kind of how it's been for them with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and the passing game has to lead them to victory. And it worked out for them this past Saturday with some help by Lamar Jackson, who also later got hurt in the fourth quarter and went out with a concussion. Uh, as he jogged back to the locker room, I thought about the Monday night game versus Cleveland earlier where it turned out he had to go take a shit, and they went back to the locker room, took a shit, came back, and threw a touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown to give them the lead in a game they would eventually win. I was kind of thinking he was going to come out and do the same thing, just go back there, take a shit, get your mind right, come out back on the field and be Superman all of a sudden, but it wasn't meant to be for Baltimore. Um, you, know, you hate to see people get hurt, especially great players like Lamar. I thought it was cool. For the Buffalo Bills fans to uh, donate to Lamar's favorite charity in Louisville. Uh, Bills fans rallied together and helped raise money for Blessings in the Backpack, a nonprofit that Jackson supports, which provides food on weekends 
for elementary school children who might go hungry. Since the game, the charity has received more than $435,000 in donations. The nonprofit's chief marketing officer, Nikki Grizzle, told CBS News on Tuesday. She said the majority of the 16,000 individual donors have been Buffalo Bills fans. So I thought that was cool. That was awesome. Uh, they've done that before. They donated money to Andy, Andy Dalton's favorite charity when uh, Dalton was still with Cincinnati, and he helped help the Bills get into the playoff game by winning, helped, the, helped Buffalo get into the playoffs by winning the last regular season game. Um, so salute the Bills Mafia for, for just being awesome, uh, not just throwing people through flaming tables before football games, but doing cool things like that, donating money to good causes. Uh, but getting back to this game and getting back to Lamar Jackson, um, I got nothing but respect for Lamar. I think he's one of the top ten quarterbacks in the league. I think he's a great player. He's a reigning league MVP. With that being said, there has to be some improvement and upgrades and this overall growth in Lamar Jackson's game. We see this time and again when he gets in the playoffs. The competition gets better, and teams have more times to focus and key in on what he does, and they make a concerted effort to take away the run game and make him win with his arm as opposed to his legs. And this juncture of his career, he is not equipped to answer that challenge. He has not had – even the one playoff game he won last week versus Tennessee, he wasn't impressive through the air. He had that hideous interception in the first quarter. I don't know where he was trying to go with that one. Trying to hit Miles Boykin on a corner route and ended up throwing a post. or not. It was a terrible throw. He has not played well at all in his playoff career. Versus the Chargers a few years ago, versus Tennessee last season, even the wild card round versus Tennessee, he was fortunate enough to win that game. And this game versus Buffalo is going to add fuel to the fire to all the Lamar Jackson critics who think he should just give up and play running back. I won't go that far. I think that's preposterous to even say something like that. I think he's a quarterback. But there's growth that needs to happen. There's room to improve. He's nowhere near a finished product. He's not as polished and refined as, as you would like to see a quarterback. And he's only been in the league for three years. But at the same time, you look at the quarterback on the other sideline, Josh Allen, who's in the same draft as, as Lamar Jackson. He's way more advanced as a pocket passer right now at the same, same stages of, the, of their career. Like I said, they've both been in the league for three years now. And Josh Allen is further ahead as a pure passer than Lamar Jackson is. You know, Lamar is cut from the same cloth as Colin Kaepernick, Cam Newton, Michael Vick. Superior, supreme, spectacular athletes who can make plays with their arms and their legs but are not the most polished quarterbacks out there, not the most accurate, not adept at reading coverages, not the best as far as anticipation is concerned. They're in a the category of what's known as being a running quarterback. And you can win with those type of quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson's had Baltimore in the playoffs both years. He was the day one full-time starter. He was league MVP last season. He threw 36 touchdown passes and only six interceptions. Colin Kaepernick got the 49ers to Super Bowl 47. and was a great player when he had great people around him and actually had a system and an infrastructure and the organization didn't completely fall to shit. He was a great football player. Cam Newton took the Carolina Panthers to Super Bowl 50. He was also a former league MVP. Mike Vick took the Atlanta Falcons to the 2004 NFC Championship game. He was also a great player in his own right. But there's a ceiling for guys like that because of the aforementioned deficiencies. Their inability to read coverages, their inability to make touch passes, their problems with accuracy, a little bit erratic at certain times in the game. Not the most polished and refined quarterbacks. The next step for Lamar is to take the same trajectory as someone like Steve Young, who came into the league as a running quarterback in his own right, but he learned 
the nuance and the subtleties of playing quarterback throughout the years, playing under Bill Walsh, playing behind Joe Montana, it's going to take that type of maturation and growth for Lamar Jackson to get to the next level. Do I think he's capable of it? Absolutely. But t- only time will tell, and only it's going to come down to the amount of work that Lamar puts in. Uh, you know, one of his own receivers kind of threw him under the bus a little bit after the game. Willie Sneed was talking about there's a lot of guys in this team who got to look themselves in the mirror, Lamar being included. I thought that was interesting that he would say something like that because it's not like it's not like Willie Sneed is an elite premier receiver in his league. That's another thing I will say in Lamar's favor. He doesn't have the most talent around him. I mean, this is a team that was so destitute at the receiver position. They had to go out and, and dig up the scattered remains of Des Bryant, dust him off and bring him back into the league, which I'm happy for. I'm happy to see Des back on the field. But I'm saying you have to go make a move like that that reeks of desperation. That tells me that you don't even believe or trust in the guys you have in your own team. Hollywood Brown had a good – a very good run in this year's playoffs. I thought he was outstanding last week for his Tennessee. I thought he did a great job versus Buffalo. He was open a number of times. Lamar just couldn't hit him. But you want to see him take that next step as well as a receiver. And I think I think everyone, as far as the Baltimore passing failures are concerned, everyone is culpable in this equation. It's not just Lamar. It's not just the, the receiving core. It's not just Greg Roman. I think everyone there is responsible for the Baltimore passing game being as inept as as it is and they all need to make a concerted effort in the offseason to develop work together work hard and improve where they're lacking at right now I think some more weapons need to be brought in for Lamar to throw to I will go ahead and say this right now the Baltimore Ravens first round NFL draft pick will be a wide receiver whoever is the best receiver available whenever it's time for them to draft that's who Baltimore will and should take. They need to upgrade their receiver position. They are lacking right now. Hollywood Brown had two good games all season. Miles Boykin's not that good. I hate to say that as a Notre Dame fan, but Miles Boykin is not that great. Sneed is okay. He would be a number two or number three on a better team. You don't have Mark Andrews at tight end is really all Lamar has to go to. And you saw that on that 101 yard pick six. Buffalo knows that. I know that. So Buffalo definitely knows that. They know especially in critical red zone situations, Lamar is looking for number 89. So, you know, like I said, there has to be more diversity added to Baltimore's passing attack, and it's going to it's gonna be a group effort in that, in that regard. It's going to be Lamar, Greg Roman, and wh- whoever they got playing receiver next year for the Baltimore Ravens. But it's definitely an area of need that they have to improve. The defense is good enough. Your running game is always going to be solid, but your passing game, you, have to, you win playoff games, in today's NFL with a passing game. You can run it all day, but you can't just outrun everybody. Eventually, at some point during a big playoff game, your quarterback is going to have to make big throws to keep drives going, to extend drives, to convert third downs, to make plays in the red zone, and to score touchdowns. Your quarterback has to step up and make big throws and big plays and win playoff games. And right now, Baltimore as much as I like Lamar Jackson, it hurts me to say this, but at the same time, I got to keep it a thousand. I got to tell, tell the truth, call what I see. Right now, the Baltimore Ravens don't have a quarterback that can make big plays and win them big playoff games. Salute to the Buffalo Bills. Salute the Bills Mafia. Congratulations. The Buffalo Bills. Can you believe this? The Buffalo Bills are in the AFC Championship game. That's awesome. I, re- I have no problem with Buffalo. I low-key root for Buffalo. I'm happy to see them having the success that they've had. Their fans deserve it. It's a long time coming. The Buffalo Bills back in the AFC title game. This reminds me of my childhood. One of my favorite playoff games 
I watched as a little kid was Buffalo coming back on Houston when they were down like 32 to whatever, and they came back to win 35-32, and Warren Moon and the Houston Oilers were just blowing them out the stadium. Jim Kelly got hurt. Frank Wright came in the game, the current head coach in Indianapolis Colts, and engineered this crazy, miracle, ridiculous comeback, and Buffalo was able to come back and win that playoff game. You know, they got stomped out in the Super Bowl by Dallas that year. Best neither here nor there. I grew up watching the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs, so it's, it's, it's a great story to me. I think it's cool as shit to see Buffalo back in the playoffs again. Like I said, that fan base deserves it. Those people are loyal to that football team. Bills fans love the Buffalo Bills, and it's awesome that they have a good football team to watch and root for and support now, and they're back in the AFC Championship game. Salute to Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Jerry Hughes, everybody, Coach McDermott, Coach uh, Offensive Coordinator Brian Dayball, Excellent job up there. Keep doing what you're doing, Buffalo. AFC title game coming up next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. Speaking of, that's what we call in the business a segue. Go from the Buffalo Bills to the Kansas City Chiefs. The two teams will be playing in the AFC championship game. That game was fucking crazy. That game had ebbs and flows, ups and downs, peaks and valleys. It starts out, looks like Kansas City about to blow Cleveland the fuck off the field. They go up like 16-3. Mahomes is out there dealing. Travis Kelsey running ridiculous routes. That route he ran on Denzel Ward on the second touchdown in the game for Kansas City, that route should be illegal the way Kelsey ran that route. Denzel Ward is the best corner the Cleveland Browns have. He's matched up one-on-one with Travis Kelsey. I don't even know what this route was. Kelsey runs this ridiculous, insane, illegal in 38 different states route. On Denzel Ward, gets wide the fuck open. Denzel Ward slips, whatever, he's down on the field, slips on a banana peel. Kelsey takes it in for six. And it looked like, here we go. Here come the Kansas City Chiefs, the best offense in the league. Offensive genius Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy on the sideline. The best quarterback in pro football, in my estimation, Pat Mahomes pulling the trigger. Cleveland's on the road. They're down. You're thinking to yourselves, this is going to be – like 35 to 6, 42 to 10, something like that. KC about to get rolling. Arrowhead Stadium about to turn into a crime scene. They about to put yellow tape around the Cleveland Browns. That's what I was thinking. It's 16-3, Kansas City with less than two minutes to go. Cleveland's putting together a drive for the first time, really in the first half, other than their first drive. And Baker Mayfield throws a strike downfield to Rashard Higgins. He reaches out and extends by the goal line. Daniel Sorensen from the Kansas City Chiefs, one of their defensive backs, comes in, makes the play, leads with the crown of the helmet, which is technically illegal, but you can't review that play. I don't know why you can't review that play, but it's a great play by Sorensen by the letter of the law um, and knocks the ball loose from Higgins back into the end zone to touchback. Kansas, Kansas City is one of those teams like everything goes their way. They get every break, every – Every fortuitous bounce goes in their favor. And this was another example of that. And a lot of people on social media went crazy, you know, with the ridiculous extremist conspiracy theory thoughts and opinions and people saying this is rigged for the Chiefs to win. I mean, the rules are what they are. And you can't review that play. For whatever reason, the NFL hasn't written that you can't review that type of play where you think it's helmet to helmet or the guy led with his helmet. You can't review that play. But Sorensen... Took advantage of that. Probably did leave with his helmet, but so what? They didn't call it. Not the ball in the end zone. It ends up KC ball. They take it down, kick a field goal before the half, make it 19-3. to 
You know, you're just thinking KC about to just fuck these dudes up. And then the second half comes out, and then Pat Mahomes gets hurt. And he goes out with a concussion. He, you know, tried to run an option play. Same play he scored the first touchdown in the game with. Gets taken down, kind of falls awkwardly on his head, side of his neck. Gets up a little woozy, looking like it's 2 o'clock in the morning at the bar during last call. Like he had too much, too many shots of tequila, too much Hennessy, whatever he had. He looked fucked up. They had to take him off the field, took him into the tent, took him into the locker room. Didn't come back the rest of the game. Now, insert Chad Henney, former Michigan Wolverine standout Chad Henney, who I legitimately forgot was still in the league, but apparently he is. He's the backup to Pat Mahomes in Kansas City, and he played well for the most part. But even as well as he played outside of that one hideous interception he had in the fourth quarter, which I'll get to in a little bit, you know, when you see 15 go out in the game, you see Mahomes exit stage left. Myself and everybody watching the game had to think, well, the door is open now. This is the opportunity Cleveland was looking for. You hate to see a guy get hurt, but Superman's out of the game. The boogeyman had to leave. So w- without Patrick Mahomes, you had to think, especially if you're Cleveland, we got a chance now. We got hope. We have a shot because this dude ain't on the field no more. Because as long as he's on the field, they're pretty much invincible. The Kansas City Chiefs have lost one football game in the past calendar year. Going back to... I think last, like, October or something like that, last November, they lost, like, one football game, and that was a 41-33 loss to the Las Vegas Raiders. So they have this air of invincibility about them, especially when Mahomes is on the field. So when you see him go out, it's like, okay, you know, we have a chance now. It's, like, it's similar to how the entire NBA felt back in, like, 1994 when Michael Jordan retired the first time. It's like, okay, now we can actually compete for a championship now. I think Mahomes is on that level in football right now. I think he's on that Jordan level. Where it's like, as long as he's on the field, you kind of believe in the back of your mind. You already know. You accept. This guy's going to make a play at some point during the game to help his team win and beat you. And beat you. But when he's out, now you got a chance. But uh, And then Baker Mayfield takes Cleveland down the field a few drives later, a few plays later. His Jarvis Landry for a four-yard touchdown pass is 19-10. to 10. KC gets the ball back. Uh, Bucker makes a field goal to make it 22-10. to 10. Cleveland gets the ball back in their next possession. Kareem Hunt scores a touchdown, make it 22-17. Early in the fourth quarter, plenty of time left. Now, now once again, Chad Henney's in the game, and this is where the hideous interception comes into play. There was a terrible pass, basically like a punt to the back of the end zone. It gets picked off, and with eight minutes left to go in the game, and with no Patrick Mahomes coming off this interception, they got the turnover they were looking for, down 22-17, beginning in the fourth quarter. You had to think, even though this is the Cleveland Browns and the history being what it is, this is a different Cleveland Browns football team. I think people should understand that by now, especially with the way they took apart in this dismantled Pittsburgh last week. But with eight minutes left to go, with that pick, with no Mahomes, you had to think, this is the chance. Cleveland's going to win this football game. Cleveland's going to take this game over. They're going to win this game. Eight minutes left to go. They should, at the very least, have two more possessions left. They got Baker Mayfield. They got Jarvis Landry. They got David Njoku. They got Kareem Hunt. They got Nick Chubb. Eight minutes left to go. The opportunity of a lifetime is now presenting itself. itself. No Patrick Mahomes on the road. Playoff game. You're the... You're the, you're the underdog in this game, but the opportunity is right here. Go seize the moment and go win this football game. And in that point, the Kansas City Chiefs defense rose to the occasion and made plays. Chris Jones took over the game at that point. He just manhandled whoever was in front of him on that Cleveland Browns offensive line, forcing Baker Mayfield to get rid of the ball before he wanted to. 
stifling them on defense. I thought Spagnuolo did a great job dialing up some blitzes to put more pressure on Baker Mayfield. Cleveland had to punt the football at about the five-minute mark, and they never saw the ball again. And I'm going to tell you why they never saw the ball again, because Chad Henney, of all people, Chad Henney made enough plays to keep the Cleveland Browns off the field so Baker Mayfield never touched the ball after Cleveland punted it. And I question why they even went for the punt. You're playing against the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending NFL world champions, Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, much to my chagrin. You have to be aggressive to beat that football team. You have to take chances. You have to grab them by the throat and choke the life out of them. You can't allow them to breathe life anymore. Opportunities like that, you have to be aggressive. You cannot be passive versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Five minutes left to go. I'm going for it on fourth down. Fuck it. At the very least, I'm going to trust my defense to hold them to three points. And, w- and with the way Bucker was kicking all day, that field goal is not guaranteed. He missed the field goal and missed the extra point in this game. So I'm going to trust my defense going against, pa- going against Chad Henney and not Patrick Mahomes to at least hold him to a, a field goal. And that makes it 25-17. You still have a chance to win this game. You'll probably get the ball back with about three minutes left to go. You can score a touchdown, go for two, convert a two-point conversion, tie the game up at 25, force overtime, take your chances from there. Like, I'm not kicking the ball back to Kansas City, even with Chad Henney at quarterback. I'll go for it on fourth down, take my chances with my defense. Like I said, Bucker was not kicking well the entire game. I just don't believe in giving the ball up at that critical juncture in the fourth quarter. You saw it in the wild card round. You saw it with Mike Vrabel and Mike Tomlin. They both kicked the ball, punted it away with about nine or ten minutes left to go, thinking they were going to get, get the ball back, and they never got the ball back. And they ended up losing the games. In the playoffs, I'm a firm believer. Be aggressive, especially when you're trailing. When you're trying to come from behind, be aggressive. Put pressure on the other team to make plays. Now, KC has the ball back. They convert one third down with a pass from Chad Henning to the back to uh, backup running back Williams. They keep the chains moving and take time off the clock. Then second down, second and eight. Henning gets sacked. Six-yard loss is third and 14. Once again, I'm thinking at this moment in the game, they, there's no way they're going to convert third and 14. Cleveland's out of timeouts, by the way. Uh, at this point in the game, third and fourteen, no Patrick Mahomes. They have no time. Cleveland has no timeouts left. Conventional wisdom tells you to run the football. This is inside a two-minute warning, by the way. So I'm thinking America's nigga Tony Romo doing the, the play-by-play on the broadcast for CBS is thinking the same exact thing: run the football at the very least, take it down to a minute twenty on the clock, and then kick the ball back to them. With a minute 20 with no timeouts, they were about in midfield, so they would have had to go on and lengthen the field to score, score a touchdown because they were down 22-17. This is what I'm thinking. This is conventional wisdom. But like I just said, you have to be aggressive in the playoffs. I would say be aggressive when you're playing from behind. Andy Reid's aggressive when you're playing from out, out in front. Third and 14, they drop back the pass with Chad Henney. He inexplicably rushes for about 13 and a half, 14 yards gets close enough to the first down marker that now is fourth and about one. And Andy Reid, once again, decides to be aggressive. Fourth and one, they call a sprint right option. They call the same play the 49ers beat the Dallas Cowboys in the 1981 NFC Championship game to send the 49ers to their first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 16, a staple of the West Coast offense. They call sprint right option, a play they called earlier in the season 
to beat the Miami Dolphins on a critical fourth down to convert that, to keep that drive going, to keep Miami's offense off the field when Miami was making a comeback against them. They call sprint right option with Chad Henney, who throws a completion to, to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is the intelligence and the presence of mind to stay in bounds, keep the clock going. Baker Mayfield never saw the ball again for the rest of the game. Kansas City wins. The balls, the chutzpah, the cojones by Andy Reid to call this play with your backup quarterback with no Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid, you son of a bitch, I can't believe you even made that call. That is why Andy Reid right now is the best coach in the National Football League. Right now, currently, to this day, January 19th, 2021, Andy Reid is the best coach currently in the National Football League when you have the balls to make decisions like that. And, of course, hindsight being 2020, it looks good when it works. If it didn't work, he would have got destroyed by everyone in the media, by me on this podcast. But it worked. All I can do is call out the result. It worked. That's guts right there. To call that play with Chad Henney. For Chad Henney to almost convert a third, third and 14 and get close enough that where they can be in position to call that play is remarkable. Like I said earlier, Kansas City is one of those teams where everything breaks right for them. That play with Higgins in the first half where Sorensen knocks it out of his hands as a touchback and would have cut the lead to 16-10 going into halftime. Instead, they go up 19-3. I mean, they, they the ball bounces their way. They get all the fortuitous bounces. Kansas City right now is that it, they got the juice. They got the juice now. They are the team in the moment, the team of destiny. And that's just what it is. I mean, we've seen them time and time again this season win games that they probably could have, should have, and would have lost years ago or win games that didn't play 100%, win games they weren't at their best, win games where the other team kind of outplayed them, but they just find a way to win. And Buffalo is a tall task ahead of them next week, coming on the road to Arrowhead and trying to beat this team. Mahomes is in concussion protocol right now. I would venture to say he's going to play this Sunday. Uh, I don't think he's going to miss this game. I think Mahomes is going to play. I'll say my prediction for the later on this week, but I think Mahomes is going to play. And I like, I just say, I like Kansas City's chances. Um, fun fact this is a rematch of the last time the Buffalo Bills were in the AFC Championship game. Uh, 1993, they played the Kansas City Chiefs, being led by Joe Montana at that time. And uh, Buffalo was able to come out with the win going on the Super Bowl 28, where they would get demolished once again by the Dallas Cowboys, 30-13. to Emma Smith, MVP of the game. We'll see what happens this time. Uh, in this year's AFC title game, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, should be fun. Two flamethrowers at quarterback, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Uh, I'm very excited to watch this game. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait till this Sunday. The final game that was played on Sunday afternoon, another game I got wrong. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, New Orleans Saints, Tampa 30, New Orleans 20. You know, when I pick these games, I, I largely go off of matchups and how I think one team matches up with another and what one team does well versus what, and what another team doesn't do so well. So when I picked this game, I said that Tampa Bay struggles with protection and they're going against one of the best front sevens in the NFL, a top three NFL defense in the New Orleans Saints, and the two games they played them uh, earlier this season, week one in New Orleans in that Sunday night game in Tampa Bay, they were not able to protect 
Tom Brady at all up front. They could not stand up to New Orleans' pass rush. And I just didn't think that this game would be any different, but I was wrong. Um, you know, Tampa Bay made adjustments, keeping some guys back in to help out the protection. Bruce Arians has finally caught on to the fact that his current quarterback is the greatest quarterback in the history of professional football, and that maybe I should just listen to him instead of trying to do what I want to do all the time. Maybe instead of those five- and seven-step drops and just launching it down the field, maybe we should keep some people back in protection. Maybe we should go to a two-tight end set. Maybe we should run more play-action passes because that's what our future first ballot, day one NFL Hall of Famer, greatest quarterback of all time quarterback is comfortable with doing. So instead of me trying to be trying to prove to everyone that I'm a genius and running my system the way I want to run it, maybe I should just work in, in conjunction with my elite Hall of Fame GOAT quarterback and do what he wants to do. It took Bruce Arians almost the entire season, but he finally figured it out. Let Brady run this whole thing. What you see right now with Tampa is the New England Patriots offense. What you saw defensively was something I spoke about in the last podcast as far as my predictions are concerned. Not playing zone defense and not letting Drew Brees pick you apart, but playing man coverage, single high safety, and forcing Drew Brees to make throws that at this point in his career he is no longer capable of making. His arm is shot. He's not the quarterback he once was. He cannot push the ball down the field and make big throws that challenge the defense at this juncture of his career. Even Sean Payton knows that Drew Brees can no longer throw it down the field with accuracy at this point in his career. The trick play they ran that they stole from the Chicago Bears, and I appreciate this play because I appreciate petty shit. Chicago ran this play in the wild card round versus New Orleans and c- couldn't convert, couldn't score. This is a play where Trubisky lined up as receiver and was basically you know, snapped to the running back, pitched back to Trubisky, kind of like a flea flicker almost. And Trubisky threw it downfield to Javon Wims. The ball went through his hands. He dropped it incomplete. New Orleans ran this play with Jameis, Uber driver, crab legs, grabber by the pussy, Winston coming off the bench. He lined up out wide, the receiver. The ball was pitched back to him. He threw it downfield to Traquan Smith, who caught two touchdown passes in this game, one from Jameis, one from Drew Brees, and it worked out. But that play right there, even though it worked out for New Orleans, it told me even Sean Payton doesn't believe that Drew Brees can throw it down the field with accuracy and with trust and with faith that he can complete the pass. So you got to bring in Jameis Winston off the bench to run this trick play. And I'm, I'm surprised that Tampa actually fell for it because if I see Jameis split out wide, I'm thinking to myself, he's probably going to get the football and he's probably going to throw it. But Tampa fell for it. They bit the fake and everything. It worked out for New Orleans. But that was about all that worked out for New Orleans this game. Four turnovers for the New Orleans Saints. Three interceptions by Drew Brees. Brees was terrible in this game. 19-34, but 34, one touchdown, three interceptions, as I just said. Saints playoff failure and overall in January postseason ineptitude continues. The Saints are the first team in NFL history with 11 wins in four straight seasons to not reach the Super Bowl. The Saints are the fifth team in NFL history with more than 30 passing touchdowns and more than 30 rushing touchdowns in a single season, including the playoffs, to not reach the Super Bowl. Drew Brees has only won multiple playoff games in a single postseason once, in his last seven appearances, that was 2009. That was the year New Orleans won the Super Bowl versus Indianapolis. I can go on and on, but I digress. The, the Not the Patriots, the Saints have made the playoffs four consecutive seasons every year since 2017, and to figure out a way to choke, fail, embarrass, and shit the bed and lose in dramatic, soul-crushing, heartbreaking, deflating fashion every January. 
twice in the Minnesota Vikings, one of those being the Minneapolis Miracle, the NFC Championship game years ago versus the LA Rams in 2018, and this game versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their division rival in the NFC South. What can you say? I mean, this is this is probably the end for Drew Brees. Um, legendary Hall of Fame career coming to an end, but he's he's like the he's like the NFL version of James Harden. He's just not getting it done in the playoffs, as I just outlined. He's choked, failed, and fucked up and shit the bed time and time again in the playoffs, and that's just who, who he is and what he is. That's a part of his legacy. You have to you have to talk about that part. His playoff failure, time and time again, year in and year out. And I, I spoke about that in the last podcast. I said the pressure from the previous year's playoff failures was going to get to the New Orleans Saints in this game. And you can, you can see that on the field with their body language. They were, they were tense. It was 13-10, 13-13. They were up 20-13 to at one point. It was tied at 10 and going into the halftime. And you kind of felt, you kind of got this sense that New Orleans is shaky right now. They're uncomfortable. You kind of felt like New Orleans had to come out and just blow Tampa out in the first quarter in order for him to feel comfortable. The longer this game went and the longer Tampa was in the game and just hanging around and within one score, you kind of got the impression that Tampa Bay was going to figure out a way to take control of this game and win this football game. Of the four Saints turnovers, three of them led to the touchdowns. Uh, the first pick that Breeze threw was a pick to Sean Murphy bunting that led to a uh, Tom Brady touchdown pass to Mike Evans in the back of the end zone. Then you had Antoine Winfield punching the ball out from Jerry Cook's hands, leading to a fumble. That led to a Tom Brady touchdown pass to Leonard Fournette. And then you had another interception that led to Tom Brady scoring on a, on a quarterback sneak. Uh, that was picked off by, the, by Devin White, who was the player of the game, in my estimation. Devin White had over 10 tackles, one pick, and a fumble recovery in this game. He was outstanding. He was all over the field. He was a man among boys. Uh, he was very instrumental and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense having success versus New Orleans and vital to what the Buccaneers were able to do in winning this football game on the road against New Orleans Saints. The third time was a charm, apparently. The Buccaneers are the first team in NFL history to be outscored by an opponent by 40-plus points in the regular season and then beat that team in the playoffs. New Orleans owned Tampa during the regular season. They demolished them up front. They just did whatever they felt like doing to Tampa and then we get to this playoff game, though. Like I said, give credit to Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles defensively as a defensive coordinator. Give credit to their coaching staff for making the necessary adjustments and coming up with, coming up with ways schematically for Tampa Bay to match up with New Orleans. Give credit to everyone on that Tampa Bay football team, offense, defense, special teams, running game, passing game, everyone involved, total team effort and going on the road winning that game. Um, after being down 20 to 13, facing that type of adversity, going against a team that has owned you all season, being down 20 to 13 and scoring 17 unanswered points to close the game out. There was another pick at the end of the game that uh, Breeze threw. He tried to hit Jerry Cook on the far sideline. The ball got tipped and intercepted. Like I said, Breeze was absolute shit in this game. If that was his last game, it absolutely should be. Uh, he needs to retire. He looked like he looked like an old man out there. Meanwhile, on the other sideline, the oldest man in the league, 43 years young, TB12, full of avocado smoothies and Ugg boots and whatever the fuck else he got going on. My man Tom Brady, the GOAT, the true and living GOAT, the greatest quarterback in the history of professional football, did just enough 
to lead his team to victory. Didn't turn the ball over. 18 to 33, a buck 99, two touchdown passes, one touchdown run, the quarterback sneak, and dropping dimes all over the field. That throw he had to Scotty Miller, that's dropping it in the bucket. That's right down the chimney sweep. Making throws all game. Had a few passes that probably should have been picked off, but it wasn't. You know, they don't put it in the stat sheet. Balls that should have been picked off. They only put it in the stat sheet for the for the passes you actually intercepted. Uh, so, played a clean game. No interceptions, no turnovers. Was excellent down the stretch. I think something like 11 to 15 in, down the stretch in the third and fourth quarter. You can't say enough. Tom Brady is now, this Sunday against Green Bay, going to play in his 14th conference championship game. 14. Let me put that into perspective for, for people who are listening to this. There are, I'm a 49er fan. The San Francisco 49ers are one of the most storied and successful franchises in the National Football League. They're a signature franchise. They're one of the most relevant teams in the history of the NFL. You cannot tell the story of the NFL without the San Francisco 49ers. The San Francisco 49ers have played in 16 conference championship games with five different quarterbacks, John Brody, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Colin Kaepernick, Jimmy Garoppolo. Tom Brady by himself is about to play in his 14th conference championship game. The Green Bay Packers, another storied and signature and legendary franchise in the NFL, have played in nine conference championship games. Tom Brady by himself is about to play in his 14th how do you not believe this guy's the greatest of all time? He's one win away from playing in his 10th Super Bowl. Once again, the 49ers have played in seven. The Cowboys have played in eight. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, I look at Tom Brady and I look at LeBron James in basketball. I'm like, these guys have owned, dominated, and controlled their respective sports ever since they came into their respective sports. Since 2011, Tom Brady's played in the conference championship game every year except for 2019. Only one year, this one guy didn't play in a conference championship game. You have all-time great legendary quarterbacks in the history of the sport who've only played like a handful of conference championship games, Super Bowls. Dan Marino got to the Super Bowl his second year in the NFL in 1984 and never made it back. One and done. 38-16 loss to the 49ers in Super Bowl 19. Tom Brady's one win away from getting to his 10th Super Bowl? Get the fuck out of here. Get all the way the fuck out of here. This dude is incredible. Ryan Clark said this on the Sunday Night Sports Center after the game, and I will echo these sentiments. I will co-sign this. I believe in this 1,001%. When Tom Brady retires from the NFL, if and when that ever happens, when he finally retires from playing football for a living, he should be, a, he should be in the Hall of Fame the first year of eligibility. Normally... Typically, the rules state you got to wait five years before you can be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Fuck that. Tom Brady should be a Hall of Famer his first year of eligibility. Wave the rules for Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback who ever played football. This is absolutely remarkable what this guy's able to do. As I said on the last podcast, he has nothing left to prove. Everything he does right now is icing on the cake, a cherry on the sundae. This is all... For posterity purposes, this is for future generations to talk about and discuss. There's nothing left to prove. You're a six-time champion. The only, the only thing that might have been left for him to prove was 
to dispel this notion, this ridiculous, preposterous notion that he needed Bill Belichick to be successful, that he was a system quarterback, that it was all Belichick, it was not Brady. Once again, Belichick's a defensive coach. The offensive system was Charlie Weiss and Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien. Brady had success under all those different offensive coordinators with different personnel coming and going every year, different running backs, different tight ends, different receivers, from Troy Brown to Randy Moss to Nikhil Harry, from David Givens to Jabbar Gaffney to Kimbrell Tompkins to Chris Hogan to Julia Edelman to Wes Welker, from Corey Dillon to Antoine Smith to James White to Sony Michelle to Rob Gronkowski to Aaron Hernandez to, Benja- to Benjamin Watson. It didn't matter whoever was suited up next to him, whoever was on the field, whoever was the coach, whoever was the offensive coordinator, it didn't matter. 12 is the answer. TB12. I implore, I'm about to go get an avocado smoothie myself. Tom Brady is that awesome. The GOAT. I can't be I can't be effusive enough in my praise. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback who ever played football. I will keep saying this over and over again so people finally get it in their fucking heads. Just understand and appreciate greatness when you see it. Brady in football, LeBron in basketball, these guys own and dominate. I I mentioned that stat about Brady and what he's done since 2011. It's the same thing for LeBron. LeBron's been in the NBA Finals every year other than 2019. These guys run shit. If you want to win, if you want to compete, you want to be great, you got to see those guys eventually. You got to beat those guys. Nothing but respect. This is remarkable. This is history unfolding right in front of your eyes. Just enjoy it. Just embrace it. Don't fight it. Enjoy it. You're watching live history in real time. NFC Championship game, the Bay of Pigs, as they called it back in the day, former NFC Central rivals going way back in the 90s to my childhood, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Green Bay Packers. Over in the American Football Conference, you have a legendary uh, a throwback rivalry to the old AFL from the 1960s, the, Green, the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to be awesome. NFL Championship Sunday, this Sunday, both of these games, highly looking forward to it. It's an interesting dynamic you have um, in both of these games. You have the two old veteran quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in the NFC, and two brand-new uh, quarterbacks of the future. The quarterbacks are right now the quarterbacks of the future in the AFC. Josh Allen going up against Patrick Mahomes. You hope Mahomes can play because as a sports fan, I want to see the best of the best on the field playing. I don't want to see Chad Henney play this Sunday. I want to see Patrick Mahomes out there versus Josh Allen. I want to see both of these dudes putting in the work they put in, doing what they do, just slinging it all over the field. This is going to be awesome. Once again, I love football. You probably can tell that by now. This is going to be great. Nothing but this pure fire this Sunday. Anticipating both games. Looking forward to both games. Can't wait. Bar Scott voice. Can't wait. Let's get it popping. Let's let's get it going. AFC title game. NFC title game. A berth in Super Bowl 55 awaits. Who wants it more? Who's the better team? Who will come out on top? All those answers will be found out this Sunday at 3.40 Eastern time and 6.50 Eastern time, respectively. I can't wait. Let's go. Once again, that concludes the Deion Gordon podcast. Picture me rolling. I'm out.